everybody. Welcome to That's Absurd. Please elaborate. I am your co-host, Trace. And I'm the other co-host, Julian. And today we have a guest with us, Ashley Hamer, science communicator. I've heard that uh, Ashley Hamer is her name and podcasting is her game, but, I, you know, I, I'll let her introduce herself. Yes, that's correct. Uh, podcasting is my game. Um, yeah, I am a longtime podcaster. I used to be the host of a podcast called Curiosity Daily from Discovery. I am now a host of my own little indie podcast called Taboo Science, where uh, I investigate all sorts of societal taboos from a scientific lens, like cannibalism and poop and race, all sorts of things. The it's very fun, fun stuff. Oh, yeah, it's it's just very, it's all sunshine and rainbows, yeah. (laughs) What part of the human's the best human? Have we covered that, or was that not allowed? Well, I mean, the brains are the most dangerous, I know that. Oh, yeah. Because then you can get Kuru, and that's that's no fun. You can get what? It's a, Kuru, it's a a protein-folding disease that kind of makes you go crazy and just, it it eats your brain. If you eat someone else's brain, your brain gets eaten. The human equivalent (gasps) of mad cow, basically, right? Yeah. Because it's caused by prions, right? Prions. The infectious proteins that convert other proteins to the dark side and then make your brain eat itself. And we don't really know how it works or how to fix it. It's, uh, yeah terrifying. Uh, Ashley, it's really exciting to have you here because you have been, I, I know we jokingly are like, oh, podcasting's the game because before we started recording, <laughs> like Ashley introduced, <laughs> was like, I'll just say Ashley Haber's the name. And I was like, you have to include <laughs> podcasting's my game after that. You just have to. It's the rules. But it really is your game. Um, and it's so delightful to have you on to uh, That's Absurd, Please Elaborate. Uh, So, Ashley, you know how this goes. Listeners, you probably are aware by this point, but typically what we do is we come up with an absurd or silly question, you know, can just be like while we're in the shower or walking down the street, or users submit silly questions, and then we do our best to actually dig into the research and figure out what the answer to said question would be. And... Since we have a guest this week, Ashley asked us a question, and why don't you tell us what it was and why you were thinking it? Yeah, so my question was, what if babies were born with hands and feet at their adult size? And (laughs) the reason I was thinking this was because... So I just... I I have a, like, 14-month-old, so I, I, I had a baby sort of recently... And when I was taking care of a newborn, there's a lot of just staring at the newborn that happens. Trace, I'm sure you you are familiar with this. Oh, my God. So much so. You (laughs) just are like, I mean, you can't leave. So. Right. (laughs) You just stare at it all the time. That's that's all there is to do for a while. Um, And I noticed that, you know, all all of its little body parts are so tiny, but its nostrils are the same diameter as its index finger as its fingers Hmm. and i'm like your nostrils have always been the same diameter as your fingers your entire life it's like the perfect size i'm sticking my finger in my nose and (laughs) you're exactly you're totally right (laughs) yeah and so i i was like gosh what what other parts like what other ways are we perfectly sized for life Hmm. uh and that is why i thought of that i love it i you know, I hadn't considered the nostril finger size correlation, <laughs> but it makes me feel like every time I've been shamed for picking my nose, I'm just doing what 
evolution dictates, right? That's yeah, right. you're designed why, for it. Why so perfect? I'm gesturing. <laughs> I'm sticking my finger up my nose as I talk to a, a friends over the internet on video. Whoops. But um, <laughs> yeah, it's 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 got to be right. Like this is intention in case something gets clogged or in case you really need to shove a Lego piece up there. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Like it's the perfect. I mean, why are Lego pieces the same diameter? Come yeah, on. It's just Check as evolution maybe. intended. The little yeah. heads on the on the minifigures, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. But you know why they, they put the hole in the top of that? If you look at a Lego minifigure head, there's an actual hole through the top. It's not just like a covered stud. So babies don't choke on them. Wow. It's exactly so they, why. They can still breathe through it? Because the good people over in Denmark knew that a baby would be like, this is the right size, all the holes fit, I've been playing the shape goes where game for about four months now, I'm an expert, I'm gonna shove that right in my nose, or throat, or what have you. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, good job. Wow. No breathing holes in the actual actual bricks, though. No no, no luck there. No, they... Yeah, no, no. You're on your own. But the little heads, <laughs> they, they yeah. expect it. Those yeah. are safe. Good. Uh, so... Julian, you answered this question the first, as, as, to the best of your ability. The, I, it struck me, it was so out of left field, because I was listening to Ashley pitch her question in our first meet, and it just kind of ended so abruptly. It was like, why are baby, what if baby hands adult size? And I was like, and then? And it was just, no, so open-ended. And I was like, okay. Yeah, bye. I have to. <laughs> The name I, of the show is That's Absurd. I, I brought it, okay? You, yeah, you you were so absurd, <laughs> I was not prepared. I started digging into it, and it, it's so open-ended, it's like, where do you want to go with it? And for me, typically, when we have an absurd question, one of the first things I want to look at is, is this already the case somewhere, right? And I figure, now, I've never made a baby, uh, but I... It seems like a complicated process where many things can go many different ways, right? I mean, the beginning isn't that complicated. It's actually <laughs> right. easy. Right. The the your contribution the to the baby making trace was easy. Sure. Yeah. And then I yes. After that, right, it gets the, more complicated. The like the seed funding. Yes, as I we mean, called it. <laughs> as we call it. The seed the seed funding. Exactly. But like then as the the, you know, zygote and embryo are developing right it, it goes down so many things have to happen and i figured at some point some people somewhere must be born with enlarged hands or feet it just has to happen so i started looking into it and in fact it does and it's called macrodactyly which just means big digits right big hands or feet uh it's very rare i was looking for incident rates, uh, I could only find data from Australia that said it happens in 0.002% of the population. I'm going to assume Australians are normal people, generally speaking, and so that's like the rate in the world as a whole. So yeah, about 0.002%, which would mean about 16 million people in the world today would have macrodactyly. Uh, at least they were born with it, right? It is usually like a unilateral condition. So like 90% of the time, it only affects one side, like one hand or one foot. Whoa. Huh. Yeah. Like uh, a fiddler crab. Yeah, basically. Wow. Ooh, that's a great way of putting it. Um, I wonder if it probably makes playing the fiddle really difficult, though. <laughs> Especially yeah. if they're a crab. 
But uh, <laughs> as Ashley would know as a musician, but we'll get to that later. Uh, 70% of the time, it affects more than one digit. So most frequently, it's the index finger. And then after that, middle finger. And then um, the, the thumb is affected least frequently. So people with macrodactyly, you'll often see one hand looks like most people's hands. And then the other hand has one or two very large digits. And then like the ring finger and pinky finger are the same size as the fingers on their other hand. Wow. So hmm. it's, it's very unusual looking. Um, it often also digits get fused together or webbed, and it causes the digits to be stiff or curved. And also it can manifest in two ways. You can either have static macrodactyly, where uh, you, the bones, the enlarged bones, grow at the same rate over the person's life. Or you can have progressive, where the uh, bones grow faster than <gasps> the other bones. And that's the one that I think is more of a concern for doctors because as they get larger, it can really inhibit their ability to use their hand. So uh, you might need to address it with some sort of surgery uh, that you know reduces the soft tissue and maybe removes some bone. Or sometimes in cases where the finger is really growing uh, at a rate that is hindering their ability to use their hand, just outright removing the digit might be Whoa. necessary. Dang. Wow. Yeah. So it does happen. Um, but it's not like adult-sized hands or feet, usually. It's like a couple fingers, and it's usually on one hand or one foot. Your, your foot fingers, your toes. That's the word I'm looking <laughs> your, for. Your foot fingers. Foot fingers. Yeah. So that's basically fingers. Okay. So um, I did find a guy, though, who is pretty symmetrical. Uh, his name is Jeff Dabe. He lives in Minnesota. He's 50 years old, and he has uh, enlarged hands, both hands, and his forearms, and one enlarged foot and leg. So he's got one and then just one leg that's, you know, average size compared to other people. This guy looks like Wreck-It Ralph. What? <gasps> awesome. <laughs> so I've shared his Instagram in the chat. It's just Jeff Dabe. Oh, wow. Yeah, no, Wreck-It Ralph. That is exactly what he looks like. I don't think there's a better... And then there's a picture of him actually <gasps> dressed as Wreck-It Ralph yes. because he's... Oh, my God. Yeah. That's great. Or he's... Just, oh, my yeah. God. He says Lean into it, man. People also describe him as, like, real-life Popeye, right? Just those huge <laughs> forearms. You should get some anchor tattoos on those. How oh, really heavy should. are his arms? Probably pretty heavy. Now, yeah. here's the best part. Ashley, read his bio in his <gasps> Instagram that says what his profession is. Oh, no. Oh this my. is a spot to take a look at Minnesota professional arm wrestler doing all <laughs> kinds of stuff. He's that is unfair. Professional oh arm wrestler. God, that's so good. <laughs> Isn't it? <laughs> right. I'm going to yeah, wreck man. it. So wow. he, uh, he has found his niche for what? sure. Fantastic, right? You say, oh, it's unfair. But I'm like, you know, people are born and grow up to be like six foot 12 and play basketball. Like, that's true. I don't see how that's any different. You know, he's just got yeah. a natural athletic predisposition to basically breaking forearms. Yeah. And so wow. I found like videos of him going to arm wrestling competitions. And he's like talking about how other guys will avoid him. He's like doing circuits around the Midwest. <laughs> and like he's like this guy he won't come to Minnesota so I came over here to Montana because he's avoiding me and then he just demolishes everybody and he, he's talking about like yeah they all work out really hard and uh, I don't <laughs> but he says he was oh just just born this way and uh, wow. he they've done 
tests, he says, and they have no idea why he's like this. It's just natural. But that's true for macrodactyly in general, is we don't understand why people are born with these enlarged digits. There's not a genetic component as far as we can tell. It's not inherited. It seems to involve something that happens during development, you know, prenatally. But Otherwise, the causes are still being investigated. But it's so rare, I think that there also probably hasn't been a lot of attention paid to the condition. So, given that... Holy I, crap, bully. Wait. Yeah. I'm, I googled him, and one of the top results is his wedding ring is 4.78 inches around. Yeah, yeah. His, 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 around, the diameter of his finger? Yeah. Is four inches? No, no, no. Around that would be circumference. So divide that by by uh, pi, right? So it's like an inch yeah. and change, right? Wow. Still, still large. Still a large, large finger. Actually, a video I found of him going to arm wrestling competitions. His wife is in the background losing her mind <laughs> every time, and I'm like. <laughs> goals like you know i was great. getting really wow. sad with the, all the talk about people like not losing the ability to use their hands but then this this has turned it back around i'm i'm happy right. again yeah yeah <laughs> jeff daves really made the most of it <laughs> yeah so to answer the question though of what if we were all jeff daves just like a bunch of wreck it ralphs and ralphinas running around first of all arm wrestling i think would be the national sport like that would probably be how civilization settled conflicts as a whole i assume but my first thought actually was uh the impact it would have on complicating child that's immediately like my concern is okay if you've got enormous adult-sized hands and feet on a little bitty baby like how is that going to affect parents as they're giving birth so I uh, looked into it and, you know, infant mortality, this is going to be the downer part of the episode. Sorry, everybody. Mm. But uh, not infant mortality, maternal mortality, right? Like in underdeveloped countries is about 430 deaths per 100,000 live births. So for every 100,000 births, about 430 uh, uh, birth givers die. So Mm. um, it's it's better in developed countries typically right that's the average is 12 per 100,000 uh by the way the US is the worst in terms of yeah. developed country with maternal yeah. mortality it's I was about very aware of that while I was pregnant yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. in Sweden yeah. it's like 9 in the UK it's 12 and then here in the US it's like 26 27 yeah. cool and it's yeah. getting Good worse job, yay and it's yay yeah. Okay. yeah we're getting we're not living as long and we're dying from routine medical procedures it's great to live here freedom anyway so so i'm gonna steer this away from the downer part of the episode now i'm glad we had that little detour and we're gonna i'm gonna observe just like what that would probably mean from an evolutionary standpoint for the human race right because there would be a point before medicine whatsoever right like now okay infant mortality because of medicine we can address it but before medicine existed right you just people just had to raw dog birth right just just Whoa. go for it. Raw and, dog burn. And hope for the best. Honestly, good, really good album name. <laughs> for for the band you know? Attack Balloons. Which yeah, is still Attack my Balloons. favorite band name that we came it's up with good, long ago. Yeah. Attack Balloons. And this is a <laughs> single of our third album, Raw Dog Burn. <laughs> <laughs> 
So before medicine, right, I assume that maternal mortality would be closer, probably much higher still than what it was in underdeveloped nations, right? And so the leading cause of those deaths, too, is hemorrhaging, where, you know, you get something tearing, something breaking, a lot of bleeding, and eventually the uh, birth giver passes away. So... I assume if the hands and feet were giant, that would occur more frequently. Yeah, you're not right? going to have a good time. Like, no. no. Like, a, the average baby length is like 50 centimeters, right? And the average adult foot size is about half that, like 24 <laughs> to 27 centimeters, right? And then you got to think it's like in a different, like oh, the baby's no. long ways, but then the foot is like upward, like a different axis, right? So yeah, it would be bad. But I think, and I'm speculating with no way of knowing this because you can't, but I think this would affect the point in development when babies are born. Oh, yeah. So human beings, right, are, have large brains and we walk upright, right? These are two of our yeah. defining characteristics. But you'll notice as recent parents that we also, our babies take a long time to learn how to walk, right? It's typically around 10 to as late as 18 months. Uh, whereas, you know, an antelope is born and then it's up and running away from a cheetah like within minutes sort of thing. And the reason for this, according to researchers, is our brains are less developed when we're born. They're not as far along in the development cycle because in order to fit through that narrow birth canal that our upright walking necessitates, our brains yeah. need to be smaller. So uh, I hypothesize that if our hands and feet were enormous for no <laughs> discernible reason, <laughs> that we would trend toward having earlier births in because mothers who did that would survive more frequently. Yeah. Or yeah, larger <laughs> pelvic openings. Oh, big old hips. That's another idea. Which then idea. maybe they would maybe it could be the opposite, right? We would be in the birth birthing yeah. longer, but the pelvis would cuz they say, you know, the pelvis is a compromise, yeah. right? Well, it's, yeah, so then women it's would an be evolutionary able to walk. compromise. That's a, that's a compromise. Right. Yeah. Or we'd all yeah. we'd all look like Pixar moms, right? Just those <laughs> yeah. wide really 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 wide, wide in the bottom, yeah. right? And, and then yeah. Popeye arms and legs. So we would be a hybrid of Wreck-It Ralph oh my or God. Every if, Pixar mom. Now, if you had see this is like a chain reaction, right? If you had bigger <laughs> hips to have babies with bigger hands and feet and you couldn't walk upright, then we'd all be on ha our hands and feet, which were bigger anyway. And then that would make for just better survival. True. I think we True. just invented the gorilla. <laughs> I think we yeah. Did. <laughs> I think what we did is come up with gorilla stuff. <laughs> we nailed it. Good okay, job. Baby. That could have been. <laughs> I didn't think of this. <laughs> See, I was picturing the people from Wally. -E. Uh, oh, They're yeah. They're like all kind of like, kind of egg shaped, yeah. you know? <laughs> Oh, man. Oh, wow. I didn't think of gorillas. Okay. <laughs> Dang it. No one ever expects gorillas. <laughs> okay, well, let's assume, though, that our brains develop still like normal and we develop all the things that make us human and, you know, intelligent and whatnot. I think this would mean 
We aren't walking until later in life, like closer to two years and beyond. And we aren't as mature until later in life. So instead of like an 18 year old being considered an adult, you know, in modern society, it would be like a 20 year old. Right. I think the drinking age then goes up as a result and voting age. So society looks different. But here was, I think, the most important takeaway is in the videos I found of Jeff Dave talking about his day to day life. He mentions he has to use a flip phone because he can't use an iPhone. It's too small. Right. It's too little. Because his hands are so big. It's too weak. So I think either Gorilla Steve Jobs invents (laughs) the iPad straight away. And then the wow. iPad is the size of your TV. Or we never come up with smartphones. And therefore, I think society uh, as a whole is better for reasons yeah. that I'm biased about. But also, podcasting <laughs> doesn't take off. Right. And we aren't all sitting here <gasps> having this conversation. Imagine the size of the iPod with those just big old <laughs> buttons. <laughs> <laughs> when you got Remember when it was the wheel on the iPod? Yeah. You had to scroll. It would yes. be like a turning a wheel on a big yeah. Spanish galleon. Yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't be very portable, but man, it would be cool. No. Well, the pockets on your giant jeans, because of your big old dump truck booty, would be able to fit it, though. That's true. Right. Everybody everybody would just wear coveralls. Yeah. Just be, everybody's in overalls all the time. Everyone's Wreck-It Ralph. Yeah. Yeah. And it makes sense. See, as as the furthest I got when I was trying to think through this, because I didn't want to think too far, because I wanted to be surprised, but was... uh, Babies would be amazing swimmers, and maybe they would be hopping around like kangaroos. That was as far as I got. (laughs) (laughs) So if it's just the hands or feet, right, I looked into it. And another reason that we don't walk for as long is because of uh, we have a lot of cartilage in our joints when we're newborns and babies. Right. right? And the cartilage can't support uh, our, our body weight and stuff. But I also think it would not be able to support the weight of our big old hands and feet as well. Mm-hmm. And so I think we would take longer to walk uh, as a result of that as well. So, hmm. yeah, I, I don't I don't think we'd I think we'd be much worse jumpers. I think we'd be like wow. feeble little like massive hands. So if things came near us, you could like slap it, <laughs> but you couldn't hop away like a kangaroo. Man, be that's careful my, that's what my you wish for. Theory. Okay. <laughs> I mean, that's so weird. I'm now I'm thinking like how much does your foot weigh? Yeah. Like an adult foot. Because you had two of those. Oh, God, there's a whole website Well, the about other thing this. is, like, baby feet are just big sausages. <laughs> They're not, like, they don't look like flat feet. I think Trace just discovered wiki feet. Oh, no. <laughs> Ugh. When he's like, no. there's a whole website about feet weight. <laughs> I'm like, no, Trace, don't go there. Don't go. Don't go to wiki feet. <laughs> oh, I know wiki feet. Not for the reason that you might be thinking. You're on it. You're a, you have a whole I wish tree. I was on it. No one wants to post pictures I'll of I'll make feet. your wiki feet page, Trace. Thanks, man. It's all, it's... it's it's all people I used to work with. Oh. Um, the average foot size is nine and a half in the U.S., and that weighs approximately 2.3 pounds. So if a baby's born and is seven, six or seven pounds. Jeez, that's a lot. Normally now, <laughs> they have an extra five of feet. <laughs> <laughs> and that's not counting that, the that's hands. That's about a kilogram, they're double, by the They're way. double their weight. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my wow. God. 30% feet. I would. Oh, no. That sounds awful. 
<laughs> that sounds this awful. This is a bad idea, levels. I'm guessing. So I'm not, yeah. No, so if a genie <laughs> comes to me and, and asks me for wishes, I'm not going to wish for this. This was going what to be your it? first wish before that, <laughs> I mean, though? I don't know. You're just... like, I want, I want giant baby hands and feet. What if, what if I'm I just, just like... sick of waiting for their... <laughs> what if I'm just like under pressure and I can't think of anything? Like, this is going to be the <laughs> <laughs> Uh, adult feet, adult, adult hands. Your wish is my command. <laughs> and every Weird, every okay. birthing every birthing human in the world goes Ashley. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank, wow that that was absurd. Yeah, thank you for it. your truly absurd question. That was fun. Appreciate You're it. Let's take a quick break, and we'll come back with another question. If you've turned into this, turned into it, you've <laughs> turned into one. You've turned into a science comedy podcast. Oh, no. Oh, no. I'm a podcast. Am I going to be late to work? If you're tuned into this science and comedy podcast, chances are that you are someone who loves learning and having a blast while doing it. If it wasn't clear, Trace and I are the same way. We thrive on learning new things because it not only enriches our lives, helps us learn new skills, but also makes us really cool at parties. Is that what we are at parties? Are we? We are, right? We're cool. I mean, when you're at my house and I'm at your house, definitely, but like, oh. Uh, other houses. Anyway, <laughs> this is all to say I am super excited about our new sponsor, Brilliant. Yay. Can I kind of get a little like, you know, in my feels for a second? Oh, yeah. Get those feels. Elaborate, please. Hey, I see what you did there. I am exactly the kind of person that Brilliant was made for. I have always been interested in math, physics, computer science. When I had the chance to study these things in college years ago, I was also really intimidated by them. Yeah. And I avoided taking these classes. And honestly, I regret it. I'm going back now. I'm taking classes at my local community college. I'm loving it. Yeah. But with a family and work, traditional classes like that, I'm finding them really hard to actually fit into my life. So I was really excited when you told me that Brilliant was going to be a sponsor. That's awesome, man. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. If you don't know what it is, by the way, out there. It's an interactive learning platform with so many lessons on topics that I always wanted to explore, and I can do them at my own pace, on my schedule, and in a way that keeps me engaged. You can learn by doing on their website or with their mobile apps. And there are thousands of different interactive lessons in STEM subjects all across the platform. Their lessons are engaging and interactive. You can brush up on like algebra or advanced math, multivariable calculus, differential equations, computer science, Python programming. You can even learn about cutting edge stuff like large language models, neural networks, the things that are powering AI today. Large language models really be great now. <laughs> large language models. You can learn large language models. <laughs> <laughs> it's only Gaelic, though. The large language that you can learn is Gaelic. Yeah, ship that. I'm in. We can finally communicate with the Scots. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, anyway. Wherever you are in your learning journey, there is a brilliant course that will help you get to the next level. Or, you know, just be basic enough to get you an understanding that you can go and work with. Yeah, they're always adding new courses too. They just launched a ton of lessons focused on analyzing data. That's cool. That's really cool. I think the world would be a better place if everyone had to take a stats class. Oh, totally. And if you haven't taken one, here's your chance. You could just go take a statistics class and make Julian so, so happy. I would appreciate that. Try it out. You can try Brilliant for free for 30 days. Just visit brilliant.org slash absurd or click the link in the show notes. Once again, that's brilliant.org slash absurd. When you sign up, you'll get 20% off the annual premium subscription and it supports the show, even just trying it out. So go ahead, 
check it out, maybe get sucked into a few lessons. Trace and I are going to be here with the rest of the episode when you get back, if you get back. Oh, I hope you get back. They come back and they know more than us about everything. <laughs> They're just like, these guys are idiots. <laughs> their brains are the size, this huge brain coming out of their cranium. I've absorbed all knowledge. Why do I listen to this podcast of dummies? I have no time for your absurd antics. <laughs> But I would definitely take one on large language models. <laughs> a cool. Scottish AI robot that nobody can understand. Sadie, <laughs> <laughs> turn on the lights! Sadie! <laughs> I'm the burglar alarm. <laughs> it supports the show. It'll be great. <laughs> and we're back. Okay. Whew, I'm still reacting yeah, to We Invented Gorillas. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty good. <laughs> okay. So up next, we have another question. And this one is actually submitted by a listener. Hi there. I'm David from London. And I have a question for you. When learning the piano, I've never got past what we would call grade two in the UK. A bit better than playing chopsticks, but still very much a beginner. Now, one thing that really infuriates me is the way that notes are written on the page. In particular, the key signature that shows you which notes have to be played using the black keys all the time. Sometimes the key signature seems to have four, five, six sharps or flats, which is a lot to remember. So my question is, why can't everything be written in C major? That's the key that doesn't require you to remember anything. Would you affect how the song sounds if you always used C major? I get that sometimes you have to vary the pitch to suit somebody's voice or vocal range but is there a way of always choosing a key signature that say only has three shops in it if you can transpose songs to a different key signature that's easier to play why don't they always do that thanks for listening i look forward to hearing your answers yeah so that is from david b this is complicated this is a complicated question i play music i do not read music yeah I, if you uh, tell me to play an A, I'm like, huh? But if you tell me to play a song on a fife, I will play you that song. Trace is always looking for an excuse to get the fife out on this podcast. <laughs> I have heard your fifing on this podcast. Yeah. It's just Fantastic. the instrument closest to me. It yeah. just sits in the Trace drawer. is his name and fifing is his name. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Man loves to fife. Well, David, you are in luck because as it turns out, I can't think of a more qualified person to actually answer this question. Ashley, you're, along with being a science communicator, you're a trained musician yeah right? i have a master's degree in music um i've i played jazz saxophone and i've taken a lot of music theory classes and i can answer this question for sure that's oh, so great oh. i'm excited <laughs> tell so, me everything about this yes so uh i'll start out with the boring stuff uh david is absolutely right a lot of a big reason is like vocal range and not just voices but all instruments Piano is not, you know, the be all end all. There are a lot of instruments out there that have a lot of different needs. Like for me, I play saxophone. Saxophone is actually pitched differently than piano. So when you're playing in C, David, I'm playing in D major. Um, so I have two sharps. Mm. So that's a little bit more difficult, right? The other thing is, um, I think maybe an instrument that a lot of the listeners probably are familiar with is guitar. Do either of you guys play any any guitar? Yes. I tried. I tried to play guitar. I, I, I do. I get it. What's the first? I wanted to date in college, <gasps> oh, and so nice. I picked up guitar. Good. It didn't good. work. It did not <laughs> but have what is, the desired what's effect. What's the first chord you learned? Uh, what's the first chord of Wonderwall? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I want to say wow, I, I think seven. we can I think we can figure out why you didn't get a lot of dates. 
He's just Look, walking around. was going to be the day <laughs> that they were going to throw it back to me. Julia just shows up at parties and goes, baby. <laughs> and everybody's like, leave. Uh, yeah, leave. Where'd everybody go? <laughs> no, we've all been there. Yeah. Absolutely. But no, you, you actually said it. E? Was it? I think e it's major? E major 7. Yeah. So guitar is easiest to play in E, which is a really difficult key for a piano. That's that's a mm. lot of sharps. So um, so that's one reason is just that you know piano has to play nice with all the other instruments, and not all instruments have the same needs. And some keys are easier for some instruments to play than others. I have a question. What is an E? What do you mean? What is an E? I don't know what that is. Well, I, I, I don't mean, understand. So that's just the thing about music. From what I understand, is the notes are just like set frequencies that we've agreed right. on. Yes, like this frequency and the harmonic multiples above it are all you know E or right. And and in and it's different depending on culture, right? Because like Western music has the twelve half step scale to until you start repeating frequencies. Right. Right. Yes. So I'm yeah. I, I'm going to get into all of that because it's so oh, math oh and so okay, sciencey. But I no, we can start. We can start. Let's music. do it. So um, yes. so yeah, to, like sound is on a spectrum, just like just like color. You can think of it like color. Um, and we have red, green, blue. We have A, C, E. We have all of that. What we do is we we look at this spectrum and we decide how to divide it up. Now color, we divide it up into like. Tons and tons and tons of different chunks. Um, you know, you got your hot pink, you got your mauve, you got whatever. But it's like for Western music, we have d- divided it up into 12 pieces. And there are a lot of historical reasons for that. We could have divided it into 10 chunks. We could have divided it into 72 chunks. And technically, there are a lot of instruments that don't have to divide them into chunks at all. Like the violin. You can. There are no frets mm. on a violin. You can just... You know, the yeah, whole thing. Like a trombone. Yeah, trombone. I used to play the trombone. I, I played the trombone for years and years. Oh, nice. Still didn't know what an E is. <laughs> I can so. completely picture Trace playing a trombone. Yeah, you yeah, or I was like, See, I thought when I when I went to fifth grade and they're like, okay, cool, you can go to this room if you want to be in the band. You can try all the instruments and they like cleaned them in between each student and you'd be like, pick an instrument and, uh, and you can try it. And so I tried a few and, and, and I was like, this one doesn't have any buttons on it. I like that. I'm going to go with <laughs> yeah, this one. I had, the easy opposite, one but... I had the opposite logic. I was like, three buttons on a trumpet? Heck yeah. <laughs> You are, of course, you're a trumpeter. Sign me Ew. up. Yeah. Well, that, yeah, I really was liked ska music in middle school because I had a lot of suburban preteen angst. No, that's and perfect. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I wanted to play saxophone. Too many people were playing saxophone. So, like, you start on clarinet. If you keep up with this, then you can switch to saxophone. And actually, that was a really good, that was really good advice because clarinet's way harder than saxophone. And so you're better at saxophone when you start. But nice. Yeah. Take that, saxophonist. <laughs> Man, saxophone is newer than the bicycle. It is a, like a very modern what? machine. It's it's. I, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, I, when did it get invented? In the eighteen hundreds, sometime. I can't what? remember. Like eighteen fifty ish. Don't quote me on by, that. But, wow. Yeah. By a, a guy whose name I assume was Sax, it, wasn't it? It was. Did you know that? Now, or did you yeah. just guess that? Yeah. Adolf no, Sachs. because I thought well, sousaphone, right, is oh, like yeah. John Philip Sousa. So it's also. Humans are bad at names. Yeah, we really <laughs> are. Like, we're just bad. It's just like, huh, we came from England. We're not in England. Where are we going to be? New England. <laughs> it's true. Done. So, We've done it. Yeah, and right, phone just means sound. So, like, if you, like, if Trace, you invented an instrument, it would be the Traceophone. I don't know. I'd try and come up with a cooler name than that. The Domingo Jingler. 
Honestly, that's better. That's a good <laughs> Dominga like Jingle. Dominga Jingle. <laughs> I play the Dominga Jingle. Yeah, I had thought about that. Like, how often are instruments invented? The last one I can think of would probably be the theremin. Yeah. In like because it's it's like so electric. Unless you count like electric guitars, but that I think that's just a, a the a computer development. Exactly. You know? They're like new versions yeah. of existing oh. instruments. Yeah, Trace, that's a good point. Things like um, keyboards that can play like sample and mini stuff. Anything they want. Yeah. yeah. Keytars. That's got to be the most recent. <laughs> yeah, the but keytar. actually, it's really interesting that you say that because all of those, you know, keytars and, and keyboards and synthesizers are all based on this older instrument, the piano. And that's basically mm-hmm. what we have based all Western music on since we invented it. And so every everything that went into inventing the piano has now stuck with music and this is how we do things forever. But there were a ton of instruments that existed before the piano and the piano had to get along with those instruments. And so mm. this division of 12 notes was kind of a compromise to make it so they could most closely approximate the intervals and notes and stuff that these other these other um, instruments had played. Oh. But before the piano, get ready. Hope you're sitting down. There were more than 12 notes before the piano. And oh. Yeah. So like they're there because they divided they divided tones into more than 12 chunks. Uh, for example, so one thing that you learn when you're like starting out is that is in harmonics. So something like B flat, that's the same as A sharp, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so there are all sorts of, of different, uh, you know, C sharp, same as D flat, E flat, same as D sharp. Uh, things like that. That was actually not true before the piano was invented. Those were slightly different notes, and that's why we have different names for them. Thank you for answering that, because that has <laughs> driven me crazy forever. Good. Yeah. Actually, this was the first time I learned this, too, actually. Uh, I thought it only existed so acapella groups in colleges could have dumb <laughs> pun names <laughs> like the B-sharps or something, which is C. <laughs> That anyway. is, I mean, that is very handy, though. Um, yeah. Yeah. I do love a pun. I'm not actually <laughs> mad at those acapella groups. I take it back. But you know what I mean. Like, it's, it's <laughs> why would we have redundant naming conventions that just seem to add confusion? Yeah. And that's you know? why. It's like history, man. And so, That's so cool. Yeah. And so there are, the way that we currently divide up t- these 12 notes is evenly. We take the octave and we just divide it exactly evenly so that every single note is the same distance apart from every other note around it. But Mm -hmm. that was also not always the case. Um, So this is where we get into like the physics of it. (laughs) The the original way to tune the scale was the Pythagorean tuning, which is basically like if you take if you take a guitar string and you divide it in half, you get an octave. You get like you'll the the guitar string before you divide it, it's C. You divide it in half, and it is the C above it, so like a higher mm-hmm. C. Mm. If you divide it into three halves, like the a three to two ratio, you get a fifth. So that would be G. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna try not to get like too technical about it, but so there are all these different ratios that you can do uh, to get these different notes, and these ratios sound really good. Like they're they they work with the overtone series. They work with like the physics of sound and they sound really pure. So Pythagorean tuning, what that is, is you take um, you basically take that that guitar string, you divide it into um, three halves, then you divide it in three halves again and again and again and again until you get 12 notes. 
then you kind of arrange them all to the right octaves, and then you have a scale. That sounds totally different than the scale that we currently have. Um, mm. But the problem is that it, it doesn't sound good. Like, that scale sounds super weird, and it doesn't sound in tune when you play chords with it. So people were like, okay, well, maybe we don't have to have all of them be like these perfect fifths. Maybe we'll do other ratios. So there's this just tuning system that uses whole number ratios that are a little bit, you know, they just adjust it a little bit. Uh, that one sounds a little better, but it's also not what we have today. But if you listen to versions of just tuning compared to our current tuning system, which is called equal temperament, actually sounds way better because it's based on tuning these perfect intervals. Do I still have mm, you guys? Mm. I, I don't want to get too. I, I think <laughs> I think so. So okay. Yeah. So let me. Yeah, let me try this. So Pythagorean tuning. I don't want to explain it because I don't understand <laughs> it. But it doesn't sound right because the notes aren't spaced the same way as they are in our modern tuning. So our modern tuning, we we went from zero to a hundred, and we said, okay, at every twelve or whatever, it, you know, whatever. It, yeah. Every twelfth of that, we are is a note. Whereas the Pythagorean tuning seems like it would curve if you graph yeah, it. Yeah, like exactly, it be, exactly. It, it, it wouldn't be just like an even. It would be almost like a function of something. And so it doesn't, the notes, two notes that you play separate from each other aren't going to sound right to our ears. Right. It's not that they're not right. It's just we're not used to Absolutely. it. Absolutely. And yeah, I once think. you get higher and higher, exactly that curve. Like once you get higher and higher in the scale, it start, starts to sound weirder and weirder because they're not really, they don't, those intervals don't care about the notes that are next to it to them. They just care that they about their relationship to the bottom note so that's weird there's really no like perfect way to tune music is what i'm saying but the thing Mm. is with Mm. a lot of these tuning systems different keys sounded different because you had to actually like retune an instrument to be in a different key and you didn't always do that so sometimes if you were playing a glockenspiel and with another instrument and they were in a certain key you're just going to play in that key you're not going to retune and so you're you're playing in these different keys and these different keys have different moods they have actually different sounds because the notes are actually different versus okay. today I had heard yeah. that and it struck me as like music astrology, you know. <laughs> when, <laughs> today it is like I, it feels oh, that way okay. because in equal temperament they're really not different. the The spaces between all of the notes are going to be the same whether you're in C sharp major or F major. It's yeah. all going to just be in, you know transposed to a different like you know height on the scale, but it's not it. All of the the relationships are the same, but the relationships okay. weren't mm. always the same. That makes a lot mm. more sense. Yeah, because I figure I you know understand that at least of like oh if you're transposing as with music as we know it today, really you're just shifting the whole thing you know up or down. Yes. Like up or you, down. It, it's yeah. very evident when you play guitar, right? Because literally, if you just like put a, a clamp on the neck, a capo or a capo, as they would say in England, and I know we have a British <laughs> listener to this one, uh, <laughs> then it's you play all the same shapes and you're in presto changeo, a different key, right? But your hand, your fingers are still doing the things that w- they would do, you know, lower down on the neck. And it doesn't really, af- it doesn't affect the relationship the notes have. Yes. Right. It really right. just makes it easier the relationship, to sing it. The you relationship know? to each other yeah. is the same. You're just moving around where you're, hmm, yeah. interesting. Also, one of my favorite facts about England is they they call eighth notes quavers and sixteenth notes 
hemi-quavers and demi-quavers and semi-demi-semi-quavers. They get really weird. I love it. Those sounds like conditions like right before you're about to give birth. Like, oh my God, the quavers, are, the quavers are an eighth note apart. I see. I was thinking more like, I've got the quavers. And it's like, oh. Exactly. Where's my rush, fainting rush couch? Rush them to their <laughs> the government-funded hospital immediately. <laughs> forthwith. Uh, okay, so to get back to David's question then, why isn't everything in C major then? Yeah, so because uh, art is complicated and there is a lot of history here. So in, in all of the time that music has been written, especially like Western music, and the kinds of music that David's probably playing, you know, that's, he could be playing a piece from 10 years ago, he could be playing a piece from 400 years ago. And those, all of those pieces had different contexts in which they were written. They had different instruments that they were playing with, they had different tunings that they were written with. And so... Those those are reasons that different pieces of music would be in different keys, just because of those needs of the composer at the time. And but really, from a modern standpoint, if you really think about it, like you could think about it like art. Right. Why isn't everything just in black and white? It would be simpler. Or like, why don't we just paint with like blue and red? Like it it gives us a, a wider palette. If you are a musician who does this a lot you do start to hear certain keys and like I know in every in every band I've played with where we play like a wedding or 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 a concert um, at like a bar you never want to play the same key twice you want to you want to split it up mm. because that sounds boring like you want to mm. you want the the music to be constantly changing and so it just gives you a, a wider palette to pick from and it also just makes it easier to play with certain instruments and then there's also just all of this historical context that goes into it. Yeah. Wow. That's so cool. It's it wow. sounds to me like what our listener really needs is a capo for his piano <laughs> where you just open up the lid and you put like a giant clamp down on the string at a certain length and like bam, you're in a new key. And That'd you don't have awesome. to worry I mean, about like Pretty sure you could do that with keyboards, just like with a button. So you don't even need the giant. Uh, but true. I mean, that's not as cartoonish. So I, I like your it's idea the, better. My brain only works <laughs> in impractical cartoon solutions. <laughs> that's true, actually. Yeah. Yes. It's part of why we started the show. <laughs> wow. Okay, wait. I still have another question, yeah. though. What's an E? <laughs> All oh, right. Trace, I looked it up. I, I have the frequency <laughs> oh. here. Oh, good. If you want to know. The frequency yeah. of middle E is approximately 329.628 hertz. Oh, great. So that's okay, an thanks. E. Perfect. That's answered my question. Cycles yeah. per second. Hertz is cycles per second, right? So the air vibrates back and forth 329.628 times every second. And when it does, you hear middle E. E is probably the first note of most rock songs, I'm going to say. Because of, mm. it's, yeah, the, it's, it's the like bottom string of guitar and the bass, and yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I, bet, I mm -hmm. bet if you put on any rock song right now, the first note would be E. That's my guess. Yeah. Would be E. Yeah. And then, huh. Trace, when, when I said earlier, oh, it's an E major seventh or whatever, chords are named for the different notes that they're comprised of, right? Like, the, the name of the chord is the tonic note, the lowest note. Right. And then it's usually like a major chord is like a major third interval. So if you go like two notes up, right. So no, no, it's it, easy. It's easy. So it's just that the, the scale is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So a major yeah, third is it. one, three. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, so it would be like C would be, if you're playing a C chord, C would be your tonic, and then D, E would be your third, your major third, and then you go up two more notes, so F, G would be your fifth, and then you have a major chord. And that sounds bright and happy, and then if you want to make a minor chord, you lower the third from a major third to a minor third. So you go from E to E flat, and and then you're playing a minor C. And then it sounds sad. I still don't get it. Yeah. I can play, I can, you give me, put a trombone in my hand, and you all play, I will play with yeah, you. Yeah, I guess you whatever can't play chords on a trombone. What, whatever, huh? whatever you are playing, I will play it. It's fine. I've, 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 I'm not gonna, you know, brush off my shoulder, but I've won some awards from a jazz. Wow. Nice. When I was in high school. Hey. And, and, but I, but if you ever, if the band director was ever like, play an A, everyone, I would wait for everyone to play and then play that A with them. <laughs> the, with the trombone, though, you can just slowly mm-hmm. slide into. Yeah. <laughs> I just never, I swear to God, I played, I played trombone for eight years. I was a musician at, at my job at the museum and played the fife and the bugle and all of these. And I would read the music and I knew what it was supposed to, what I was supposed to play. And I could sight read. I cannot tell you what an A is. Cannot don't don't know. Wait, you can read. I don't. Wait, I don't understand. You can read music, but you don't know what an A is. What is that? What do you mean? Yep, I just know what it's. I know the instrument that I'm playing. Once I know how to use the instrument, uh-huh. I can make it play that whatever I I'm see. looking at. I see. So you can see. You know, like which note on the staff go uh, corresponds with which key on the instrument, but you don't know like right. what whatever the, name the of that, in- key, uh, yeah. that that note I, is. I it, it's like mastering. Uh, it's like mastering a video game and not knowing what the moves are called. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like I can play Street Fighter. I don't have to know what move I'm, you know, like, oh, well, that's his forward right punch. I'm just like, nope, don't need to do that. I can I can do well, that. You I can just make the character do the this, thing. Yeah, this, yeah, you did that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. You did the hard part. The easy part is just I mean, like face is the spaces F-A-C-E. And then the lines are every good boy does fine. So yeah. now you got it. Yeah. And- with treble clef, right? With treble clef, yeah, bass yeah, clef, yeah. whatever. Well, yeah. Oh, yeah, you played trombone. Ba- Dang it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Sorry, I made, I made everything hard. <laughs> yeah, but like, I can't sight read. I come from a musical theater background, like as a stage actor, which means, spoiler alert, none of us know how to sight read. We all just buy the Broadway original cast soundtrack and then mimic it. I have a friend who's a professionally trained opera singer, and she was peeved when she went to an audition for a musical theater role, and everybody sang, like, the soundtrack, the Broadway soundtrack, and she sight read, and it was different, and the director was like, uh, can you do it more like what everybody else did? Uh, and she was like, I'm reading the notes, goddammit! Like, <laughs> That's amazing. Art is complicated. It is. It Fascinating, is. though. I Thank I you for it. addressing, though, that, like, in fact, the keys don't really have different moods today, but that they did at some point. That they is did, so and everybody cool knew me. what they were. Like, I, I read something like A-flat major was the key of the grave. Like, that was it. And now then you <gasps> heard it, and you're like, oh, yeah, that's death. But, like, today, oh, I wouldn't man. be able to tell you which, which songs were in A-flat major. I can't hear that. But other people, but people could at the time because they had a specific quality. I wonder how huh. hard it would be to book like an old timey music band for my funeral that will play in A flat major. <laughs> oh man, if you went to a university, hard. like their hard. their historical <laughs> instrument department, they'd be like, "Oh my god, yes, I never get a yes. gig." <laughs> We'd love to play your funeral. <laughs> <laughs> Look, just call a reenactment group. I can't wait for your death. I I'm telling you, I didn't learn the fife in a vacuum here. Oh, there are there people who this is all they do is historical instruments. Well, you, you wouldn't be able to play a wind instrument. Well, any instrument in a vacuum, right? Is, oh. Okie dokie. <laughs> All right, let's take another break, and when we come back, we'll have Trace's question. 
And we're back. We've gone through my question on what if, well, Ashley's question technically on what if babies were born with giant hands and feet. We had a listener question Ashley addressed on what what's up with all the different key signatures and music. And finally, Trace, it is time for your question. That's right. And my question actually uh, comes from Julian I don't know how to pronounce his last name, so I'll just say H. Hug Julian it. H. Hug it. Hug it out. Okay. So, the, uh, so please, tell me what your question was and how you thought All of right, it. picture this. You're in a grocery store. You're walking down the aisle, right? You're in the baked baking needs section, and you go buy the marshmallows, right? What do you do when you pass the marshmallows? You grab the bag, right? You put, you put it to your face, and then you take a deep, deep breath, right? Just You just inhale that marshmallow through the bag. So I was doing this, and... (laughs) (laughs) Just just hanging out. Yeah, you know, (laughs) avoiding uh, security again. And I'm breathing in, I'm, I'm inhaling these marshmallows, and a thought occurs to me. And that is, the marshmallows are in the bag, but the smell is coming through the bag. The smell's gotta be made of marshmallow bits, right? Like, it has to be a piece of the marshmallow... A tiny microscopic piece that's coming through the bag into my nose. So I thought, given enough time, if these marshmallows just sat here and, like, I huffed away, would I disintegrate these marshmallows into nothing? Would I, would I, or at some point, would they lose all, like, what happens? Can something disintegrate via smell? That is the essence of the question. And, tra- and Trace, you decided I- it, you jumped at this one, so. Yeah, so I think smell is fascinating. I think people know how it works and they're like, oh, it's connected to memory and all of these things, which is all true. I mean, we'll get into it in a second. I want to just throw out here in the very first few seconds. Yes. The answer is yes. Something can disappear from being smelly. What? Wow. It is true. It can happen. But when you're thinking of describing this really odd behavior that I don't recommend of <laughs> grabbing marshmallow bags and smelling them, not only because... Huff so and the was, puff, as we call it so, in my house. <laughs> <laughs> Someone's going to take that bag home and it's just going to have Julian my on it. My face. <laughs> like a memory foam pillow. But also, you know, you're not really supposed to put plastic over your face and inhale. Yeah, like, that's not, yeah, I've I seen movies that and that way. doesn't work. <laughs> um... <laughs> But yeah, you are 100% right. Smell is made up of physical little particles. And those little particles go into your face and you are able to sense what it is that they have come from. Uh, It's an incredible sense that we don't think about as often, uh, I think, as we should. So uh, the short answer is yes. That is exactly what happens when you smell something. It's little pieces and it does slowly disappear. Uh, But, you know, really, really slowly for most things. So quick refresher uh, on smell. You have these olfactory sensory neurons inside of your sinuses. They're at the back of your nose. They're actually more back than they are up like we like to because of the shape of our nose we like to think our nose goes up but it actually goes more backward kind of into our skull i know this Um, because my husband can uh uh, hammer nails up his nose and the way that you do that is not by going up you go back Back is, mm. is the way you want. Up is brain. Why, Back you, is, why is he doing The nose why is, is meant for fingers, that? as we know. <laughs> I, I know. Not nails. Ay, 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 ay. He's a weird dude. He, he, he's been doing this since he was like a baby. He's a sideshow person. 
Okay. <laughs> Got it. Well, we won't dig into that. Get the legos <laughs> went straight to nails. Exactly. That's smarter that though, because the nails up. got the head. You can get a hammer and just yank it out. Not like a Lego. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 I always want that flared base. Yeah. So in the back of your nose, before the nail gets there, I would hope <laughs> uh, there is what we call just generally people are like the olfactory bulb, which I picture like you know like the surface of a balloon, but it's not like that. And on it are neurons, and each neuron has a receptor, or on it are receptors, and each receptor has a neuron, really, because it's connected more or less directly. To your brain. And so what happens is a molecule will float into your sinuses on on the air that you are breathing and it will hit a receptor in the, on the olfactory bulb. And when it hits it, it literally like docks with it. It like makes a little connection and an ion channel is formed. When that ion channel is opened, which essentially like charged particles flow back and forth over membranes, that's how humans uh, are alive. Um, it tells the brain what molecule it is. Uh, and doing that is we interpret it as smell. I, I said a molecule, but it actually has to be lots of molecules, um, which we didn't know until recently. I thought really interesting. So in 2005, a study came out that was that was titled like basically the nose doesn't work like eyes. <laughs> <laughs> this just in nose, not eyes. <laughs> yeah. Grant money, please. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, are all scientists just Henry Winkler's children? From <laughs> Money, please. Money, please. <laughs> they kind of are on, on some level. Because it turns out we study the eye a lot. Um, so there's there's this thing called the G protein. It's complicated. I'm not going to get into it. But basically, when a, when a single photon hits a rod or a cone in your eye, it can activate a protein channel, um, a, a protein in your eyeball that's released and it amplifies that that photon signal so that you can experience it even if it's just one photon your brain is like whoop something hit something but that's not the case with your nose you need more molecules and so the closer you get to something smelly it there's just more and more stuff in the air so you're smelling more of it but at some point you you back away from it and you can't smell it at all even though the stuff is still there uh, so we have 400 different olfactory receptors and we're capable of detecting about a trillion different smells they think which makes it actually more sensitive than the eye but it doesn't work like it has a lower limit where it's like well we're just not gonna we, we can't we're not gonna amplify that signal at all so it's really interesting how kind of smell works um but the takeaway is you need a physical bit of whatever you're smelling and more than one piece of it in order to activate an olfactory receptor. It's not magic. It's just little physical particles. And the, the different uh, shapes of whatever you're smelling, right, like activate different olfactory sensors, right? And so, like, the combination is how you distinguish unique smells, right? Right. The way right. I remember it's, it is from a Magic School Bus. There's like a, and I don't think this is actually the way, obviously it's not the way it works, but they, they had like basically puzzle pieces <laughs> that were just like going into different yeah. little shapes yeah. in the nose. I mean, that's it's not that unusual. I mean, organic chemistry is complicated, so I think that's a pretty good explanation at, of at how fun, these little mental level, things though, work. It is all, like everything protein related, it, it's mostly like puzzle pieces you know like yeah. complex yeah. just but it's all like shape related like right sh like key goes into correct lock and then like activates stuff typically right right so yeah that makes sense right to me. nice and so if that's how things can be in the air and have no smell to us right something some particle can be in the air but we don't have a way to smell it so it's considered odorless that's assuming of course it gives off anything uh you know like co2 for example we don't have receptors that can pick up co2 so that's why you don't smell co2 
CO2 in the air uh, because it's not it doesn't have an odor. We don't have a receptor that it, that can lock into that, a little puzzle piece, if you will, that can connect to it that allows us to smell it. And so when Julian is putting his face into a marshmallow bag, mm. he's likely smelling, you know, little what's called volatile compounds, things that are coming off of the marshmallow and into the air. It's more interesting, I think, on some level, like little sidebar, that it's going through the plastic, and that's because there's different types of plastic, and the plastic is porous enough that those little compounds can get in and out. Essentially, air can move in and out of that bag. This um, reminds me so, of, well, of like the, the thing with COVID masks and people were like, well, you can smell a fart. Like, how is it going to keep you from getting the virus? And the reason is that viruses are much larger than the individual little molecules yeah, that are coming right. yeah. from the fart. Mo- molecules Human, are tiny. Humans aren't really good at things at very small scale or yeah. very large scale, right? Yeah, at a certain right. point, you're like, oh, it's the same. And you're like, no, this thing is hundreds of times bigger than like yeah. a single molecule because it's made of many, <laughs> many, many molecules. So, yeah. like... <laughs> yeah. You're saying, like, how can that car get through that tunnel, but I can't breed a building through it, <laughs> yeah. idiot. Exactly. Exactly. It's like, it cars made of metal and, and stuff, like, put together. You're like, no, They're made but, of the, like, same the thing. scale yeah. is different. It's, yeah. it's really tough. So, the key of this is volatile compounds. So, you have volatile compounds and things like marshmallows, but I want to try something really quick. We're going to need to go and find some music for this, but I think it's going to be good. You guys ready to try this? Sure. Okay. Welcome to our new game show, Smell or No Smell! Also, no, wait, no, that's not a good name. Help me come up with it. Here's the other one I wrote down. Odor or noder. I like it. Yazel or nasal? The marvelous Mrs. Nasal. I knew you guys would come through on this. Yeah. I'm going to ask you a thing, and you tell me if it has a smell, and if it does, what that smell is. I'm not looking okay? forward to this. I was a guest on Ashley's podcast once, and I got quizzed, and I missed every single question, and it haunts <laughs> me to this day. Oh, so I'm not looking okay. forward to it. <laughs> okay, we'll go with that. Ashley first. Yeah. A really a really common one. Can you describe the smell of, like, pennies or, like, coins? Yeah. Yeah, well, it's, like, metallic. There's a, yeah, there's, like, a, like a copper smell. I don't know. Okay, so would you say that, would you say a penny has a smell? Yes. Is it, does it have an, okay, so it doesn't. (gasps) Um, Metal does not give off any volatile compounds. In fact, no metal has any smell whatsoever because it's a solid thing that doesn't like flake off and give particles to your receptors. So what you smell when you smell pennies is actually oil and oxidation of skin lipids. From the people who have touched that oh. penny, including yourself. <laughs> oh, no. So that's what I'm tasting, too. Huh? <laughs> oh, no, Julian. <laughs> so it's aldehydes and ketones. There's no metal in that smell at all because metal doesn't create volatile compounds. Wow. It doesn't have those. And so uh, a bonus question for you, Ashley. Does blood have a smell? Oh. <laughs> This is surprisingly hard. It is. Right? I'm going to say yes again. I mean, it's like meat. It's it's the same. Really? It's the same thing. It's the iron in the blood reacts with our the fat on our skin. And then the fat on our skin does like flake off and we smell that. So when we smell blood, it's actually, and, and metal in general, it's a thing called a one octan three one, which is CH2 double bonded with a CHC double bonded with O, CH2 four CH3. Got it. So it's just like this specific molecule that we associate as like we evolved to associate with metallic things likely because we should probably be able to smell blood, oh, but wow. it's not really, it's not really the blood or the metal. So like rusty metal, doesn't have it's not actually a smell but you can think of it right like you smell 
you're at a rusty metal, like by the train tracks or whatever, and the train just went by, and you can probably smell the diesel and things in the air because those are burned, but you don't actually smell the metal even though you associate something with it. Okay, Julian. Yes. Describe the smell of bacteria. Oh, man. Well, okay, how tricky are we going to get? Is this going to be like, it's actually a product of the bacteria you're smelling? (laughs) Um, But I would say icky. Like, (laughs) right? Like, bacteria... Does... Well, let me ask it this way. Do they have a smell? Uh, The bacteria? Yeah, I'm imagining, like, you know, if if you've gone a while without brushing your teeth... And your, your breath's all stinky, and it's from bacteria that are, like, just going to town on all the little latent things in your mouth that they can eat, and then they're giving off gross odors. So I'm going to go also, with yes. And going back to farts. Same thing. Bacteria. Yeah. 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 They're giving off gross odors. The bacteria themselves have no smell. So excellent. Almost a trick question. Okay. Good job. Well, they like the outer layer of bacteria typically, right? Well, it depends if they're gram positive or negative, but is like a membrane, like a phospholipid layer. that's like fat and, and stuff, but they, yeah. they still don't smell. Uh, apparently they do not. Based on what I looked up, I was like, "Do do microorganisms have an odor?" And they and the research I found said they don't specifically have odors, mm. uh, but they give off things that do have odors. So I put as I put it as a maybe. Yeah, well, I'm not smelling. I mean, it's just my, my odors I'm giving off. You're right, not it's smelling you. Me. You're smelling my disgusting odors. Man, you guys are picking this up way quicker than I expected. Okay, um, it's like you're smart. Okay, next, uh, Ashley. This one. I think it'll be fun. Do books have a smell? Oh, I've done a thing on this. Um, they do because the the mm-hmm. the no paper fair. She's is cheating by knowing stuff. things. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> paper, the leather bound. If they're you know older books, they release all sorts of compounds. Um, according to the International League for Antiquarian Booksellers, uh, awesome. Want to go to the their meetings? League of Antiquarian, <laughs> not an association, not a club. No, sorry. The league. Oh, are you into? Are you in the league? league Uh, International league. (laughs) Uh, So it gives off lignin, which is uh, vanilla smelling to us, and it's found in wood-based paper. Um, The glue, the paper, the leather all break down, and they create quote grassy notes with a tang of acids and a hint of vanilla over an underlying mustiness. It is right, really nice, beautiful. No, I don't. Don't quote me on this, but I think I want to say that the vanillin we put in our food is from the same thing that the smell of books is. Oh, from. instead of like, like expensive ass vanilla bean, we just go to yeah, yeah, the stuff that we like the fake stuff. So they're I think just in like libraries, like thing? scraping the pages. <laughs> And bottling. That's how it works, <laughs> right, I'm exactly. sure. Yeah, I mean, how, according to a 2016 article from yeah. Scientific American, you're not wrong. The They can use the flour, but they can also synthesize vanilla flavor from other things, including lignin. So Very cool. Awesome. It says 85% is vanillin nice. synthesized from Bam. a petrochemical, uh, but most of the rest is lignin. Wow. Hmm, interesting. Okay, two more. <laughs> Julian. Yeah. I know you know something about this, or we'll see if you remember the video that you did about it. Does a clean, chlorinated swimming pool have a smell? This was a fact that stuck with me forever and ever. No. No. In fact, when you're smelling, when you go into, like, a pool and you smell, like, oh, that's a lot of chlorine. Actually, it's because, like, the chlorine has reacted with things in the pool and, like, killed it, and that's what you're smelling. But a well-chlorinated, yes. like, properly chlorinated, clean swimming pool is odorless. That's right. 
I learned that bleach is the same way. So every time you smell those smells, it's yeah. like, oh, this yes. used to be real. A dirty. lot of what we smell like, is stuff yeah. that's bonded to human-based things and have flaked into the air. I like to use flaked because it just sounds terrible. Mm. Um, so yeah, the chlorine smell is it is does. when the chlorine has bonded with like oils and fat lipids and things that were on our skin, and they've gone into the into the air of the natatorium. Okay, last one. Ashley, does glass, like at a restaurant or at your house, when you put your face into it, does it have a smell? Oh, I'm going to say no. I feel like the, the thing that I smell when I smell a glass is either the liquid yeah, that's in it exactly. or the glass dust Glass is just like it. metal. It has no volatile chemicals right. that it gives off or no, no volatile. It's called a VOC, a volatile organic compound. And so if you think that your phone has a smell, which is made of typically metal or glass, that's just you or someone else who's used your phone which is pretty gross always gross mm. yeah yeah and uh and if dishes smell like anything it's not the glass yeah. but it's either something that was in the water the food the detergent residue and in fact pure water also has no smell and no taste so anything that you when you drink water or smell water uh, and it smells like water you're not actually smelling the water molecules you're smelling other stuff that was suspended within the water okay so that's it for for smell or no smell da 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 Gross. So, uh, <laughs> good job, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. I think we tied. I think we tied two to two. Hooray. <laughs> oh, yeah. I wasn't even keeping yeah. score. What, but. Yeah. what is the point of the game? You have to keep score. <laughs> <laughs> and highly competitive. So what did we learn? Um, that all bloody, metally smells are humans. That all glass smells of humans. That all chlorinated stuff smells of humans. And so mm-hmm. what I took away from that is Agent Smith was right. Uh, and that the Matrix probably smells really bad mm-hmm. to anyone who's not a human. Mm-hmm. We stink. Um, but... Yeah, we smell really terrible. Uh, And all of this comes from VOCs. And those VOCs do flake off of things. The thing is, humans are constantly replenishing them. If we didn't, eventually we wouldn't smell because we would either dry out and there would be nothing to flake off because most of the things that are flaking off are organic compounds that are are from, that have to be carried in the air on humidity, or uh, we would disappear. So things do disintegrate really slowly when they are smelly. Uh, And if they're not disintegrating, like metal or glass, they're not smelly. So your question, can something disintegrate from being smelly, is absolutely, because that's the only way we smell anything. Wow. Is by it slowly disintegrating. Wow. Uh, And I I did come up with an example that I teased at the beginning of what specifically disappears. Uh, A great example is rubbing alcohol Mm. or other kind of uh, substances similar. It's highly volatile. So if you poured it onto any surface, it would evaporate into the air, leaving a smell that you, you know, that alcohol smell that you can sense with no residue at all. So a pure rubbing alcohol, like an isopropyl alcohol, is just going to disappear into the air and completely volatilize, um, which is pretty cool. Yeah. An apple or some other like organic thing, a marshmallow, probably not, because what will end up happening is slowly over time, the bits that would flake off would do that. And everything else, like if you've left a marshmallow out after a while, it just kind of gets smaller and smaller until it becomes this hard little rock. And that thing wouldn't give off any other gases unless you either heated it and added energy to it or rehydrated it or something else where you could have it flake off more and more because it would need to be able to do that. So that's why spices stop 
smelling is because they just get dried out yeah. and then they don't exactly really and so the stuff that was on its surface that would have volatilized in chemistry is what they call it uh would have disappeared there also are solids that turn into gases and volatilize it's not like all solids don't you know i mentioned earlier co2 has no odor um, but dry ice is solid carbon dioxide that turns into gas sublimates immediately so we can't smell it but if you just leave dry ice out it eventually disappears mm-hmm. and it's the same concept as this like uh, evaporation if you will of of the isopropyl alcohol and that's another thing that kind of i feel like i feel like dry ice has a smell you know when you have like a concert or something and they, they use dry ice but it's that smell is probably the sensation of like humidity or yeah something. i did a video a long time ago about the smell of cold and i think you're right it just has something to do mm. with like when you think of a freshly fallen snow and you go outside and you smell like winter that isn't really the snow it's the stuff that's caught in the snow it's you know bits of trees and dirt and things that have been hydrated so they're slowly volatilizing into our atmosphere which is really smells really nice or famously that the smell of rain right is like a combination of the dust that Mm. gets kicked up by the falling raindrops and then the added humidity also makes your nose more sensitive well that's also bacteria though right I think it's like bacteria in the soil also, like fart <laughs> stuff, like create yeah. that petrichor. Mm, everything is farts. Everything you've ever smelled is a fart at some level. <laughs> <laughs> so you're just smelling marshmallow farts when I'm in the grocery store. Marshmallow toots. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> um, so you can become nose blind, which I think is a, a good follow-up question to this. A lot of people would be like, okay, but wait, like spices eventually don't smell. Or like you go, I think a great example is you go into a pet store and you open, the doors open or you go in and it's just like, whoo, this smells, smells in here. But then a few minutes later, it doesn't. And what is essentially happening is your brain is just like, all right, I got it. Yeah, that's like, I hear you receptors, but I'm ignoring you now. Like they're still, it's, you're still smelling it. Physically, your receptors are still getting hit with all those pieces of farts uh but your brain is just ignoring it at that point which is pretty cool yeah um we do this with a lot of stuff too like touch you know like when you mm -hmm. first put on clothing you feel you know the shirt on you and then at a certain point you just don't think about it anymore although now that i've said that how many of you are thinking like oh i'm I'm aware of my shirt again (laughs) on my skin Yeah, like could you could you imagine if you were if you had extreme focus on every single one of oh, your footprints? No. So like, it would be every time your your foot hit Where the is ground? your foot right now? You know, yeah. kind of a thing. Oh, ew, ew. Right. Um <laughs> show it to me. <laughs> show me that wiki feet. Let me <laughs> wiki feet. <laughs> so did you ever wonder then, since now you know that these are physical particles that are hitting the receptors that connect directly to your brain, they're in the back of your nose, what happens to them after they're done with being recepted? No. No. So there's this organ that essentially washes the olfactory bulb throughout the day with mucus. So it's just kind of constantly bathing them, they think. Um, but either way, you, they get washed off the receptors and you swallow them. So when you smell someone's fart, what you're actually doing is physically (laughs) touching all the fart particles and then swallowing them. I regret asking this now. It was cool until this very moment. (laughs) Why are humans? We're gross. I like it.
like it. Um, yeah, we are. Oh, I have man. one. I have one more bonus here as well. When I was growing up, I lived in a very rural place, and we could drive not that long, twenty minutes to the mall, uh, which we do a lot in the winter because you know it's warm there. And we go to the scented candle store at the mall, and my friend and I would go and we'd smell, you know, apple and pine tree, and all of these are like lignin. It's just some synthesized thing. It's probably not bits of apple. Wait, you it's lived in Michigan else. and you went to a candle store to smell pine tree? Well, in the winter, you can't really go smell pine tree. You can't smell as much. But I wanted to ask, and I think now that we've gone through all this, you probably will think about the answer a little differently. When you pick up a candle and you pop the top off, where do you put your nose to smell the candle? Over the wick, right? Yeah. Yeah. So you're supposed to put it in the lid. Oh, in the lid. So if you think of like, that's where the gas is. That's where all of the volatile chemicals are. So the wax itself, uh, eventually, like if you just left the candle open, wouldn't smell like almost anything because it would do the same thing as a marshmallow left out or anything else. It would dry out. And the energy imparted from the heat is what would volatilize it again. But in the lid is where the volatiles are actually stored. So if you smell the lid of the candle, you're going to get what the candle smells like. And if you smell the surface of the candle, it's going to be similar, but not quite right. Something to do next. After I'm done huffing the marshmallows, I'll stroll over (laughs) in my neighborhood target to the candle aisle. And try it out. See if it smells more correct. Huh. I'm going to do that. That almost makes up for knowing that I'm swallowing fart all the time. (laughs) Not all the time. Well, I hope in not your all case, the time. you're probably swallowing. Let's see. In your house, there's a dog and a cat. So you've got cat dander, dog dander. There's humans. So you've got dust mites and a variety of other like tiny organisms that are going into your sinuses and getting stuck there. Uh, and you're sensing those. But your brain's ignoring all of that because you've been there for a long time. And then the Bowen's organ is just washing it up. So you're, you know, just swallowing that. Uh, and then, you know. You cook something, that's going into your nose and you're sensing it, and then you swallow it, so that's kind of nice. Um, and then, uh, somebody, you know, somebody goes to the bathroom. and A neighbor down the hall passed away last week, and <gasps> nobody discovered her until a few <gasps> days ago in the middle of oh, a heat no. wave. So oh, no. this is <laughs> really horrifying. So I <laughs> regret oh, this so well, much. you know. I think we just go back to the beginning of like, uh, what's the tastiest part of a human? Right. And now you know right. that that's not it. <laughs> now you know, I'm unappetized. You know that's not it. <laughs> Wait, do brains have a smell? Mm. They'd have to. Anyway, I'm just thinking about, again, <laughs> would it be tempting? I don't know. Mm. I don't think so. They're kind of jello-y. Right. Like fatty, uh, right? Like, like, it's mostly fat. Yeah, I don't know. Brains, yeah. a lot of lipids in there facilitating yeah. the so, neurons. If you put a brain in a swimming pool... <laughs> <laughs> right. If you used your giant hands and feet <laughs> to put a brain right. in a swimming pool while, while your friend playing, plays the what, tuba. What is it? No, they have to play, is it A, a, a minor? A, a sharp minor. A minor. A sharp minor. The, a flat, flat minor. minor. Yeah. Major, yeah. yeah. Then we could drop the brain in the pool and everyone could and dis- smell it. It would be a smell. very interesting funerary That's how I want to go. Set up. Right, put it in the will. <laughs> Really glad this is alive. <laughs> well, I'll be dead, but everybody else will be alive, I hope. <laughs> so, yeah, can something disintegrate from being smelly? It always does. Uh, but having it completely disappear would be very unlikely unless it's a specific liquid or sublimating solid, which you wouldn't be able to smell anyway. Fascinating. Wow. Weird. Very cool. And gross. Very satisfied with this answer. Like, well, eight, like 95% satisfied and then upset about the fart, but still, <laughs> still really cool. 
Well, thank you to Ashley for joining us on this episode of That's Absurd, Please Elaborate. Ashley, where can people find you if they want to listen to your other podcasts, if they want to find you on whatever social networks? Where can they go? Yeah, Taboo Science. You can listen uh, exactly where you're listening to this podcast. Uh, and also, taboosciencesho is the website. Um, I'm also at Smashly Hamer, H-A-M-E-R, at, on uh, Twitter, on Instagram, on Threads. Are you on Blue uh, Sky yet? So, yeah. I'm on Blue Sky. I I used it for about a week, and then Threads came out, and yeah, now I'm not really using it. it. Yeah, Aww. I think it's it's tough because now there's so many. Well, thank you for joining us, and I hope that uh, you know y'all listened and enjoyed, and you know you know where you can find me and Julian. Yeah. So we don't. Oh, have to I'm on that. Threads now. Before I was trying to avoid pushing social media because it's a toxic hellscape. But you can find me on Threads at Hug It Out. H u g g e t o u t. Hug it nice. out. Yeah. I'm also on Threads and Blue Sky and Mastodon and everywhere. And the show is mostly on Instagram. Yeah. So you can toot Trace there. over there and he'll have to smell it. That's right. On Mastodon. Do I? Digital tooting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Thank you, everyone. And we will see you in two weeks with another episode. That's Absurd, Please Elaborate is produced and hosted by me, Trace Dominguez, and Julian Huguet. Our producer-editor is Kyle Sisk, and the executive producer is also me, Trace Dominguez. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of That's Absurd. Please elaborate. If you have questions, feel free to submit them to us at social media, or you can find a Notion form in the show notes. And if you leave us a review, we would be so grateful. It helps people find the show. And if you take a screenshot of it, send it to us on social media or email, send you a little sticker of the show logo. Totally unbiased review. Doesn't have to be five stars, but we'd really appreciate it. It helps us grow the show. Thanks. Thanks.